as there's not much left, but it is probably one of the richest portions. But it is an amazing chapter, and we will finish it tonight. Um, and we will be finishing up this section in Romans that has had to do with the topic of sanctification. Um, you know, we, we've been covering a lot of those kinds of words that, that we hear at church, and we might not always, like, totally understand, but the sanctification means that, that we have been set apart. And, um, we're, you know, he, he's been kind of covering that uh, from Romans uh, 6, 7, and 8. Um, the, it's had to do with sanctification which is a past, present, and future process, which is quite different from justification or being justified, which is a one-time deal where God declares the believer not guilty. And then in that process there of, of being declared not guilty, um, we have been imputed with the righteousness of Christ. In other words, when God said, as you were being justified, you are not guilty, he took away your sin and put righteousness in its place. Not your righteousness, because you have any, you don't have any. Um, Christ's righteousness. He put that in your account. And so now every time, as a believer, Jesus looks or God looks at your account, he doesn't see your sin, he sees the righteousness of God. And so every time he pulls you up, all he sees is righteousness because it's been imputed into you. It's been put into your account. It, it, it was paid for on the cross. That debt was paid for. Now, we can live and walk as if we have never sinned. That, that is what this justification process is. It happens when you become a Christian that all of a sudden now you can walk and live as if you have never sinned. And in that process, when that has happened, there's another process that happens, and we touched on it a while back as well, is that regeneration that happens. That when you have become justified, you have become renewed, re regenerated, to where it's not God making you better, He's making you new. And so you're not having to deal with the old you anymore. You can move on from the old you. You don't have to be who you used to be, in other words. You are a new creation, the Bible says. And can it get better than that? I suggest to you that it can, because we get into that whole sanctification deal, you know, that we have been set apart. The moment that we accept Jesus, you have been set apart. You've been sanctified. As we walk through this life and having to still deal with that old man that's supposed to die, that wants to come back, all the time we are being sanctified day in and day out. And then one day when we breathe our last here on earth, we will be or sanctified. We will totally be set apart. No more to have to deal with this world any longer. And so Romans 8 has got to be a climactic chapter or the climactic chapter of all of Romans, all of the book of Romans. 
because of what it has been sharing with us. Um, and if that is the case, if it is the climactic chapter of the book of Romans, then verse 28 of that chapter is the zenith, the pinnacle, the apex of the entire Bible, or the entire chapter there, because it just like hits it. And, and, and not that it's downhill from there, but it just reaches a height that you're going, are you kidding? And it's like, no. It's like the crescendo, you know? It's just like, that's it. When you get to verse 28, you're going, my goodness. And so what I want to do tonight, as we go, we're going to start in verse 28, but I want to read the whole chapter to you because it is epic. It is epic. And I hope I could do some justice even as I read through it. But again, if you've never read Romans 8, well, I'm going to read it to you tonight. And so Romans 8, I'm just picking up my pants here so I can get you going here. Romans chapter 8. <laughs> it's like, man, I'm ready. I, I, I am stoked about this chapter. Okay, beginning in verse 1, Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the, through the flesh, God did by sending His Son in the, in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin... He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit for to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ... He is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit of is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren... We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. But if we live according to the flesh, we will die. you will die. But if, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but to receive, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are 
children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation earnestly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into a glory into the glorious liberty of the children of God for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now not only that but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption the redemption of our bodies, for we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? And if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into it, to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes, who also makes intercessions for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing 
shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, oh man, that's a lot of reading. But it is pretty epic. It's pretty amazing that God has given us this chapter. Again, it's probably one of those chapters that you ought to know where to go in that chapter because of what it says. When, 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 when things are going crazy in your life, what a chapter to go to. <clears throat> to understand that God has done all these things on our behalf. <clears throat> and when you get again to verse 28, after he has said all these things of, of, of what he has done on our behalf, and even as we covered last time a couple weeks ago, that even the Holy Spirit is on our side and he prays for us, even when we don't know how to pray or what to pray, that when we just get to the point of just like, oh, he knows exactly what that means. He prays for us. He makes intercessions for us. And as he gets to that point, and then he gets to verse 28, he says, And we know, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And we know, he says. Notice that the Apostle Paul does not say, And we hope. He doesn't say that. And we hope. No, he says, And we know. The word know means to be sure, to perceive, to understand because you've seen it with your own eyes. You know it. In other words, we are assured and we know is the way the Amplified puts that portion. And once again, notice that this passage does not say, and we hope that some things, and we hope that some things work together for the good. It, it doesn't say that. Paul doesn't use that kind of verbiage to get his message across. No, he goes, it, it, he goes and he says, no, we know. And yet, as I was thinking about this, as even in my own life throughout the years, and even, again, just in my life in general, I, I think it would have been better off if he had written it to say, and we hope that some things work together for good. It, it would have been better, and I say that because oftentimes it fits us better. Because we, 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 we actually don't believe it all the time the way it's actually written. Because it says, and we know that all things work together for good. And it's like, no, sometimes we really, we might say that, oh, I know that God, but we really think I just hope that some of the things work together for the good. Because it just seems like my life falls apart for every little thing. It's always falling apart and I'm always struggling and I'm always this and that. And it would have been better if he would have just said, and some things, or we, think, we hope that some things will work together for good. It's a 50-50 chance. You know, I, I think that's our mentality oftentimes because we struggle with our flesh. I know that we use this verse, many of us, we've used it many times to comfort others when they're going through a rough time. We will say, hey, well, you know, you know that God will work all this out for good. He will do it. And yet we don't believe it. We'll, we'll say that to somebody else and say, well, you know, brother, sister, 
It will all work out for the good. And we turn around, we freak out about what's going on in our own life. And we don't believe that He will come through for us, but it, he, he, he might do it for you. But for me, gosh, I, the way I've been acting lately, I don't know how any good could come out. You know, we think those things. And I know sometimes that we, we will even quote it for ourselves, but I think we do it oftentimes for us to convince ourselves. Hopefully it works. Hopefully it will work for me. <laughs> if we really believe this verse, honestly, guys, that, that if I just read this again, and we know, that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. If we really believed that verse, we would never worry about another thing ever again. Honestly. Because of what it says, right? The way it's worded there, if we really know, why should we worry about anything? And I, go, I, I know sometimes it's like, oh yeah, I don't worry about a thing. It's like, really, you don't? It's like, no, yeah, you do. And we try to convince ourselves. If we really knew that all things are working together for good, then we shouldn't worry about a thing ever again from here on out. Because He will use anything in our life. Whether it's good or bad. He will use it for His good. In the midst of your trial, in the midst of your desperation, despair, that you would say, okay, right now everything is falling apart and nothing, I, I can't even see the light at the end of the tunnel. But you can say, but I know it's going to work out for the good. I, I, I was talking to somebody today and kind of just mentioning this verse because, again, it's almost like they had gone through a, a, a rough time, a rough go at it in their lives. And I shared with them that even though you would have or you could have lost your child, it would all work together for the good. And that's harsh to say. The child lived. And they went through a lot. I said, but even if you would have lost your kid, it would have worked out together for the good. And there was tears that were coming down from their face because, again, we've gone through that in our life of losing a child, losing a baby that was, you know, we were expecting to bring home and we didn't. And at that point, it's like, how could any good come out of that? Honestly, how could anything good? But no, even as a young Christian, we, we, we knew that verse and we trusted that verse. And 30 years later, God still uses it in our lives. And He uses it for the good. Would I rather have my son? Absolutely. But we didn't. But again, it's like there's been other times that it's not as devastating that I am freaking out because it's like, how can any good come out of this? And yet, we, we look at this and say, no, everything that we ever go through, everything, good or bad, He will work out for the good. You see, to know something means that you are confident enough because you've seen it play out. You've seen it play out in the past. And you have experienced it. So you know it. 
I, I have a set of, 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 of church keys that I carry with me all the time when I'm going to be here, right? I know that these church keys will open up the church and other doors in the building. They have different, different keys. They are altogether separate from my house keys and my car keys. I have two different sets of keys. And, and guess what? I, I, I never confuse the two sets. For one, one of them bulkier than the other. So I, 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 I'm not going to confuse them. Because I know the purpose of these keys. I know the purpose. The keys and the locks work perfectly when I use these keys with these locks. They work perfectly. I know the purpose of this key. It will open up the front door. Will, any, any door out here. It will open it up. With, they, they, they work perfectly with, the, with my assistance. They can't just cop out hop out of my, my pocket and go into the key. No, there's an assistant. I, I take them on, I put them in, and I, I get in. I've seen it happen time and time again, hundreds of times with this set of keys. Many of us have seen God work things out in our lives hundreds of times. And yet, can we honestly say that we know that all things work together for the good. We've seen him do it in the past. And yet, we sometimes like, I don't know if he can come through this time. If we are the called according to his purpose, what makes us think that he will get us confused if he is assisting in the work? If we are the keys in his hands, do we think that he will ever put us in the wrong lock. He won't. He knows our purpose. He will never put the wrong key or the, the, right, the key that's in his head into the wrong lock. Whatever key or whatever lock he puts it into, whatever situation it goes into, it will turn because of his assistance because he won't get us confused. He's not going to put you in the wrong lock and say, oh, geez, I'm sorry. He, he, he just can't. He can't do that. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I know that putting a key into a lock is not always smooth. <laughs> I know that putting a key into a lock is always snug. <laughs> and there's times that you put the key in there and you have to jiggle it <laughs> and you turn it. But it turns if it's the right key for that right lock. It will, it will do that. It might, there might be pressure. There might be friction. There might be all these things that happen. But it will work. And God is at work all the times. And He has you in His hand. And whatever situation He puts you in, it will turn. It will turn out for the good. One way or another because He's not going to make that mistake. He can't. He can't change. He can't, he can't, he can't just get the wrong key and put you in there somewhere. And as I was thinking about this, as I'm going through this today, I'm going, oh my goodness. He is working together with us constantly. He is always at work in us. It means that He is a fellow worker with us. He is a cooperator with us. He cooperates with us in the work. And He is the one 
that, that harmonizes everything together. Everything falls in, in, in place. All the tumblers fall in place so that He can turn it. Perfect. It will always turn when we're in His hands. He, it will, he will never put us in the wrong lot. It will always turn out for our good, guys. Every single time. One of the situations that always comes up as I read through this portion about things coming out for the good is Joseph. The story of Joseph. If you know the story where God put favor upon him among his parents and not so much about his brothers, but but he he God had showed him all these things and he goes and tells them, this is what God's going to do in our lives. And they end up going, you know, we just got to get rid of him. And so they decide, well, let's just, let's just kill him. And then he said, well, we can't keep, really kill him. Well, let's just put him in a pit and let him die there. Oh, okay, that sounds better. Throwing him in a pit, and it's like, hey, there's some guys passing by. Let's just sell them. Why not sell them? And, and all these things are happening, and he's sold, and then he's, he's a servant for this one guy for a couple of years, and then he gets accused of rape, and then all of a sudden he's in prison or in jail for a few years, and, and all these things, and all that time you're going, how could anything good come out of it? And yet, from the beginning, God knew what was going to happen, even though he was going through all these pressures and all these things, that he becomes like second in command in the land of Egypt, and he saves the world, basically. He saves his people. And you're thinking, nothing good can come out of this whole situation. And yet it does. And even to when he reveals himself to his brothers and then his dad dies and his brothers go, hey, Joseph, you've got to be nice to us because that's what dad said. He could have just said, hey, you know what? Forget you guys. But he said, no, you guys meant it for evil, but God meant it for good because we were able to save everybody. You see, no matter what the situation, I don't care what you're going through. He will work it out for your good. And then he says in verse 19 or 29, going backwards, verse 29, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, to those whom, whom, uh, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, I, I'm not here to argue the whole foreknowledge or predestination and, and things like that because there's always that argument. There could be that argument. I will just trust in the sovereignty of God that he, he foreordained everything. He predestined everything. He, he, I, I am not going to try to compete with his sovereignty with my limitations and try to understand the whole sovereignty of God of who he is and how he chooses and how he doesn't choose. I don't know how he exactly he does that. But I know from reading here that he does that. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 actually say, says, says, just as he chose us, in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. 
All I know is that He chose me before the foundation of the world. I can't explain it, but I am so glad that He chose me before the foundation of the world, before I was ever born, because if He would have had to choose me after I was born, He might have not chosen me with some of the things that I've done. He might have said, "Mm, I don't want Him after all. But He chose me. He chose you if you are a believer. He's chosen you from the foundation of the world. Get that into your little head up here. It's like, no, don't even put it there because it's going to explode your mind. If you really try to understand this whole predestination and foreknowledge of God, it, it, it is too much. His choosing believers is not just so He can have a relationship with us, which that's what He has, but it is to conform us into the image of His Son so that we can be like Him. The end goal uh, of, of this whole thing is to be fashioned from the inward parts to be more like Jesus and less like this world. That, that, that's, what, that's what He is doing in our lives. He is making us or conforming us into the image of His Son. Moreover, those who He predestined, He says, He called. And those who He called, He justified. And those who He justified, He glorified. And all of these things are past tense. Now, I can understand the fact that, that He has called us. I know that He has called me. I know that He has justified me because of how I read it and how I've studied this and how I understand this. But what I don't understand is how we have already been glorified. That means you have died. That means you have received perfection. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa there. I don't understand that. How can that be past tense if we're still breathing here? Glorification doesn't come until after the fact. But this is how big God is. And again, I don't quite comprehend it, but I will accept that He sees you and me as believers as already perfect. You're already perfect in His sight. Every time He looks at you, you're you're already perfect. You're glorified. He sees the done, the finished product already, if you will. There's nothing else to do. He already has done it. In your, in your life. So he sees you glorified already. And again, that's another thing that just like, I cannot comprehend that. Why? Because I know me. <laughs> I know who I am and what I am capable of doing. And I repent of those things constantly. It's like, Lord, why do you still love me so? And he says, well, I already see you as perfect. It's like, I don't understand that. He never told me I had to understand it. He just told me I had to believe it. You see, Jude 24 tells me, Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, he is able to do that. He is able to keep me from falling and he is able to see me as perfect already in his sight. He's done. He's done the work already. It's a finished deal. And then he says, in verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? And I'm thinking, hallelujah? (laughs) Maybe that's what all we have to say is like, 
whoa, thank you, Jesus. You've already done all these things on my behalf. You already have called me. You have justified me. You have called me. All things work together for the good. It's like, man, I, hallelujah, man. There's nothing else. I, if anything, all we can do is stand in awe of what he has done on our behalf. And yet he says, well, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's like, what? God has already sent His Son. He's done all these things. And He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And I thought, well, um, the devil, (laughs) he can still be against us. I don't care if God's for us. The devil can be against us. If, If God is for me, then, well, the world can come against me. The world system, there's other people who will come against me. But even if all the world, even if all the people in the world, even if the, all the host of, of the demonic realm is against me, God is still on my side. And because of that, they are outnumbered. If it's just me and God, they are outnumbered because I have God on my side, the one that created it all. Nobody can, can, can attain to his perfection. If he is on your side, there's nobody else that can really come against you. Oh, again, they could. But God's on your side. God's on your side, really. Who's going to win this battle? Guys, I've read the end of the book. I know who wins. Guys, I want to encourage you that if everybody came against you, the host of heaven came against you, it doesn't matter. Because God is for you. God is on your side. God is so for us that He did not even spare His own Son. He did not withhold His Son. That's how much He's for you. He is that willing to be for you that He would sacrifice His Son, that He would give His Son so that He could have this relationship with you. And not only that, He delivered Him up. He delivered Him up for all of us. In other words, God turned His face away from His Son so He can have a relationship with you. That's how much He's for you. Isn't that amazing? That, 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 that He would go to that extreme. Him and His Son are one and they've never been separated and yet when Jesus took on all the, the sins of the world, the Father had to turn His face away from Him. Never happened in eternity past or ever will happen. But at that moment, because of your sins, God says, I I, I want that relationship. I will turn my back on my son. Man. If God is for us, who could be against us? If God was willing to do that, what is it that he will withhold from you? What is it? What, 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 what will he withhold from you if he, ne- if he didn't even withhold his son from dying for you? What will he not defend you from? What will he not give you freely if he has done all those things already? And then it says, And who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who is going to come and bring this charge against God's elect people? Again, I will say, well, the devil, the devil will, 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 will bring a charge. That's what the word devil means, accuser, accuser. He is the accuser of the brethren. Of course he's going to accuse you. And guess what? He's probably right. 
for the stupid things that we do. But the devil is coming to accuse us in front of the very one, the judge who has declared us not guilty and said, oh, they're clean. (laughs) My son paid for that. The judge himself who justified us is the one that Satan comes to try and accuse. He says, who can accuse you if I've if I've already given you justification. And he says, well, who will condemn? Who is he who will condemn then? It is Christ who died and furthermore has resurrected and is even at the right hand of God to make intercessions for us. Well, who, who, who will condemn? Well, again, the devil. He likes to bring condemnation. But he's bringing this condemnation against us to the one who condemned sin in the flesh already. He, he, he's, he's the one that says there is no condemnation. So he's saying, well, I want to condemn Zeke. And he's going, oh, I'm sorry, there's no condemnation for Zeke. But you should see what he's done. Oh, no, there is no condemnation for Zeke, ever. So who can condemn? <laughs> now, you almost want to say, how stupid can Satan be to think that he has any chance of having any kind of victory here? How stupid can he be? He is fighting a losing cause. Now, as soon as I thought that, as I was thinking about this, how stupid can he be? I thought, who's stupider? Him or me? I did think him of you guys, but I thought I better use me. <laughs> Who is stupider? Him or us? He he keeps he keeps bringing all these things up, and God's already said it's a done deal. But who's stupider? He takes him at his word. He knows, but he keeps on bringing these accusations. We're, we're, we're the ones that don't believe this sometimes. We, we're, we're the ones that fall for his condemnation. We're, we're the ones that fall for his accusations. We're the ones that think like, God, you must hate me. It's like, are you serious? He just said he is for us. How could he ever hate you? He can't. He can't ever hate you. Who's stupider? You know, I'd like to think that Satan is a stupid idiot that he keeps on doing this, but it's like, I keep on stinking falling for it. It's like, man, Lord, why don't I just believe what he has told me, guys? Why don't you just believe what he has told us here? Because from here on out, after reading this portion of Scripture, you would think that we would never, ever... uh, What's the word? Yes, thank you. Ding, 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 ding. Whoever said it. That we will never ever question what God has already said. We shouldn't ever, man. He has done all of this. Just think of who's stupider. (laughs) We say that we believe Christ came and died and that He even rose from the dead. We, we, We say we believe it. And we even believe that He is up there at the right hand of the Father making intercessions for us. And yet, we behave as as if none of this is true sometimes. 
that sad? <laughs> if we just looked at what we have read so far at face value without going any deeper because there's way more depth that we can get into. But if we just read it at face value, it should be enough for us to believe it and never question it again. But wait, there's more. (laughs) But wait a minute. Even if there wasn't more, this should be enough. This should be enough. This should sustain us to know that God has done all this. We should be more than convinced. But there is more. When we read verses 35 to 39, where it says, And who... Or who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet we are, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall separate us, shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Who, who, Who shall separate us from any of this? It says, shall tribulation, many of us, it's like, Right there, I'm done. <laughs> I got tribulation in my life, so I can't trust God no more. I don't, I don't think He loves me anymore. I don't, think he, I don't think He likes me because He's allowing this to happen in my life. And many, many people have stopped right there because it got too hard. Tribulation, people came against them. Problems, situations, and all of a sudden it's like, I can't. And He's going, no. With what we have covered already is overwhelming. And the fact that God, the God of the universe is totally on our side and has done everything and will continue to do everything. It's almost as if if Paul searches the universe. He, He searches to see if there's anything under heaven or earth that could separate us from the love of God. And it's almost like I, I, I imagined as I was going through this, Paul was just probably like writing things that he's already gone through. Because <laughs> he, he went through just about everything here, if not all of it. Just, can, can any of that separate me from the love of God? I'm here to tell you, no. None of those things, unless we let it. Well... <laughs> Again, even if we let it, it can't, it can't happen. It can't happen. Even if I, if I said, you know what, tribulation is too much, it's like his love doesn't stop. Nothing. None of these things can separate us from the love of God. And, and in verse 30, 36, it's quoting Psalm 40, 44, 22. It says, for all... You know, for your sake, Lord, we're killed all day long. We're like accounted as sheep for the slaughter, man. We're just being slaughtered. And yet he's going, no biggie. <laughs> so we die. 
So we die for all of this. And yet in verse 37, he says, yet in all these things, every one of those things, we are more than conquerors. More than conquerors? Can't we, uh, you know, we sometimes don't even feel like conquerors, but he said, no, we're more than conquerors. It's almost like you're already going into the battle as a victor. You've already won the battle. Why? Because of who Christ is. He's already won this battle. So we're more than conquerors. We don't have to worry about it. He's already fought the fight. He said, for I'm persuaded. I'm persuaded. There's nothing that will ever change his mind, as Paul is writing here. Nothing will ever change his mind. He is so persuaded that neither death nor life will change his mind. If he died or if other people died in his life, it wasn't going to persuade him. It wasn't going to, he wasn't going to go either way. He was just going to go straight forward. If there was death, his or somebody else's, he was going to seek God. If there was life, he would continue. If there was angels or principalities, both good and bad, powers, it wasn't going to persuade him one way or another. Nor things present, nor things to come. The things that he was already dealing with. He didn't even say the things in the past because he's already conquered those things. But the things that were happening in his life now, it wasn't going to persuade him either way. He was going to continue. Nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, anything, nor any created thing, not even himself because he's a created thing. Nothing could persuade him otherwise, guys. Nothing could be able to separate him from the love of God. I, re- I remember when I first came to the Lord, me and my dad, my dad, hardcore Mexican Catholic, just a regular Catholic, not a good Catholic, but just Catholic. I came, I come to the Lord, and, and he's not too happy about it. And I don't know if I had just learned this portion of Scripture. I was a young Christian, but I, but I, had, I had learned this portion of Scripture right here. And he was, he, he was getting on my case about going to church every night. And it's like, go figure. It's like, he'd rather have me drinking and stuff. And he was getting on my case for going to church. And I remember going outside, and I was crying. Go figure. I don't know what I... But I cried. I was crying. And I said, Lord, he could forbid me from going to church because I'm living under his house, under his roof. He could take my, my, my Bible that I just bought... <laughs> And he could have tore it to bits. He, he, he could do all those things, but he cannot take that love away that you have for me. He can never take that away. There was no way that my dad could, could infiltrate that. Because I wouldn't let him. He could lock me up in my room and tell me I couldn't pray. <laughs> wouldn't have worked. Because nothing was going to persuade me. God, that was 30-some years ago, man. I'm more persuaded now than I was then of what I know. I am more persuaded, man, that that nothing can separate me from that love. I don't care if I'm having a good day or a bad day. I don't care because nothing can separate us. And I hope you you, you go back to this this chapter and read and understand what God is is speaking to you because sometimes we're saying, I'm done. And it's like, you can't. If God's not done, why should you be done? He's not going to give up on you. If he is for you, who can be against you? Even if the whole world comes against you. No biggie. 
this chapter, again, is one of those chapters that you need to, to go back to. When, when, when life is tough, go back to it. And, and be reminded of the fact that all things, all things work together for good. To those who are the called. If you are the called, it will work together for the good. This is for the believers, not for the unbeliever. It's, it's not, you, you, you really shouldn't be sharing this for, to the non-believer that it's like, well, it'll all turn out for good. It's like, it might not. <laughs> but for the believer, for those who are in Christ Jesus, guys, everything from here until you breathe your last will work out for the good. It will be for his good or for your good and his glory every stinking time. You can count on that. It will never fail you. Let's pray. Father, as we do thank you for this precious portion of the word, Lord, we are blessed to know that you are on our side, Lord. That there is nothing, Lord God, that could ever happen in our lives, Lord God, that won't turn out for your good. Because you've already said it, Lord. Lord, you've predestined this whole thing, Lord. And Father, it does blow my mind because I can't quite comprehend that whole predestination thing. But I believe it, Lord. I believe that, Father, from the foundation of the world, you've called us. You've adopted us to be yours, Lord. There's nothing that will ever change that. There's nobody that can snatch me from your hands. I believe that, Lord. And Father, right now, Lord God, I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord. I pray that you would truly, Lord God, just capture their hearts and remind them of what this is saying. And Lord, whenever hard times come, we will stay steady, Lord, because we know what your word says. Lord, that we would be so persuaded like, like Paul that we would know that tribulation or distress or, or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or anything, nothing can separate us from your love of Christ, Lord. That neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor things present, Lord, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth. Nothing, nothing can do that. Lord, encourage my brothers through this. And we praise you and we thank you for all that you've done on our behalf, Lord. What an awesome time. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's